without the experience of God, we will be bound to somebody else's vision of what the Uberman should look like. Welcome to the Soma Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Paul. Now that we've deconstructed our evangelical beliefs, we're trying to find a way forward to hold on to Christian faith and community in a post-Christian culture. Mark, we had our first, um, we had some listeners this week email us. Yeah, we had a couple of people. Thank you yeah, very much. Thank you. That's been awesome. And um, and we love to hear from you. And um, I have a, a question that came. And Sally uh, wrote, wrote to us and she says, I sometimes miss being a part of a regular occurring loving community of like-minded spiritual people, but I truly cannot ever go back to something Christ-based or Bible-based. I am utterly convinced that God is way more gigantic than any words or stories in the Bible including the ideas about Jesus. So where does that leave a person like me? Maybe this is a topic for discussion on your podcast. What happens when you have faith in God, but no use for the Bible or Jesus? What, what strikes me in there is just the I, can, the I cannot go back statement, which uh, I can relate to that aspect of it, because I think when you're in that deconstruction journey from the faith you used to have to whatever that future faith may look like, there is that sense of, I can no longer go back. And and it mm. sounds like what I'm picking up here is you're not sure of how to go forwards either. And so that's a that's a difficult place to be. You, you realize you can't go back. There's something that no longer works about the faith and the experience and the practice that you had. But really, I think you're asking, is there any clues for what forward looks like? And it, it sounds like you have some, you know, like meditation or practices that are that are somewhat helping you. But it also sounds like there's some question marks there and something that's not fully working. Yeah, it sounds like um, we're starting to maybe um, res- uh, resonate with the same types of people because that second email that came this week was a similar scenario where someone reached out to us and they had been in the ministry like we were. They were pastors in a church and all that kind of thing, and then they left it behind. But then, but now they don't even know if they have any faith in God anymore, right? So there's a... There's this common uh, sort of path of deconstructing your Christian faith and coming to a point where do I even want to believe in God anymore? And maybe that is the difference between um, between the two of us, Mark, because I don't, I don't think you've ever questioned whether there is a God, but you question whether maybe God is good. Yeah, I, I, I knew that I couldn't stop believing in God. I actually considered, should I try? Because mm-hmm. uh, I was very unhappy. I, my question was more, is God good? And I thought it's possible that there is a God who is not good. Mm-hmm. And and I was looking at the problem of evil, the question of evil, looking, you know, remember there was a big tsunami in India and uh, hundreds of thousands of people were just mowed over by waves. And I, I actually made an art project about from footage, found footage of that uh that tsunami, you know, and that was me processing, you know, wow. is God actually good? You know, if, if all of this evil exists in nature and in the world, how is, how is God um, in this? I think what I'd like to do today is um, speak to our, our podcast intro a little bit. And because I think it's related to the questions we've been getting from our listeners. We talk about uh, trying to find a way forward, uh, a way to hold on to Christian faith in a post-Christian culture. Um, we also you know, called our podcast the Soma Podcast, and I want to talk a bit about the name Soma. Um, but I think it does relate to the question this week. Um, maybe I can't fully answer what our listener said in terms of, you know, if, if I want to you know, break up with Jesus in the Bible, what do I do? Because I've decided that I wanted to re-engage Jesus in the Bible. That's the decision I made. And I think what I can do 
and maybe what you can do too, Mark, is to explain why, we, why we've decided to do that. So if, if this culture truly is post-Christian, let's, let's unpack what that means. But if it's truly post-Christian, then why are we see, seeing Christian faith as still an option and is still um, a good option? I, I like to explore that a little bit. Yeah, and I would say um, you're talking about the meeting crisis, and um, that's a term that um, I've heard used. Um, and I think it's a cognitive science scientist John Braveke talks about the meaning crisis, and also um, uh, you know he's got a whole series of lectures on. It. I've watched some of them, and essentially we're living through a time with the collapse of Christianity in popular culture, and the collapse of I think of an awareness of God for many people. Um, and we have so much freedom, but we have a lack of meaning in that freedom. So, how do you, how do you, um, in the face of a lack of meaning, how do you, um, you know, how do you connect with God? Is God is it still possible to connect with God? I think in in my own experience, again, that was one one of the things that drove me to God or opened my desire for God was a lack of meaning. I, I mm. as an adolescent, um, you know, I my home life was kind of tumultuous and. And uh, I, I'm a natural observer, and I just thought adults were just, like, faking it all the time. I just thought, like, they're just faking, and, and they're just going along pretending that life is meaningful. And I felt like life was completely not meaning. I thought it was absurd, you know? Really? So I'm, I'm like, why are all these adults pretending as if everything is great when it's clearly not? You so know? you had that absurdist sort of meaning, uh, lack of meaning as a, as a young person? Because I see that in my own like oldest children right now. Yeah, absurdity, I think, is one of the responses to the meaning crisis. Really? In a couple of episodes, I brought up um, Nietzsche. And I'd like to, I'd like to just come back to that a, a little because it, you've talk, you're talking about the meaning crisis, and I think it's relevant because he, he kind of predicted this. Um, and I want to unpack it a little more. I have, I've referenced it in past episodes, but let's, let's just see what this is about. Um, Nietzsche was a, a German philosopher in the late 19th century, and he was famous for saying God is dead. And I remember in the 80s, like as a teenager in the church, I, I that's the first time I ever heard of Nietzsche and, and the phrase God is dead. And I always, there was always like this cheeky answer, like, you know, Nietzsche says God is dead, and then God says Nietzsche's dead, you know. Like, right, yeah, I can get that on a shirt, actually. Yeah, exactly. Um, but he wasn't gleeful about this. Like he actually said this was a terrible thing and he kind of warned society. I, I could almost see him as a, like a prophetic voice. And he talked about like ever since Copernicus. So Copernicus was the um, uh, scientist and actually he was also a clergy. So a lot of people in the, in the, in the Enlightenment period were both faith and science based. Exactly. Yeah. yeah uh, but he lived in the late 13th century and 14th century. And he's the one that proposed that maybe the sun, or, the sun is the center of the universe, which was a huge radical shift, right? Right. So when we've been playing playing out some of those issues ever since, right? The the battle of science versus faith for who who you know who gets to determine the nature of reality and how the world really works. Yeah, for sure. And and so Nietzsche said that Copernicus, since he proposed that model of the universe, man has been rolling away from the center, right? We, we used to see ourselves as the center of the universe and science is rolling us away from the center. And he says towards an abyss. Uh, and that's sort of, um, that's what he, he, it then leads to this idea, this proclamation of God is dead. 
I actually was talking to my oldest son the other day about it, and that's exactly what he told me. He said, Dad, we're just like we're like ants in an ant colony. You know, like we're just a little ant in the in the in the sense of the size of the universe and what science has taught us about the universe and our place in it. And it's contributed to this sort of meaninglessness or this lack of meaning that you're talking about because it's like we're. Um, yeah, if you have <laughs> that purely scientific materialist mindset, then everything is just you know deterministic. It's it's a process that's unfolding. There is no God. There is no absolute meaning. You as an individual can make up your own personal meaning, which is another one of the responses, which yeah. would be romanticism. Yeah. You know, the universe is dark, but also beautiful, you know. Right. Uh, my life is dark, but, you know. So it, romanticism is another sort of way of po- poeticizing that lack of meaning. Um, and, and I think probably, yeah, most of our people we know have a kind of a materialist um, kind of yeah. quasi-scientific mindset that says, you know, at the back of the mind is there's there's not much happening in the universe. We're all going to die. It, it doesn't mean anything. It's just going to happen, right? And, and yeah. I, I was thinking about those things when I was, even as an adolescent, which is why I was trying to meditate and leave my body and figure out if there were ghosts and different <laughs> things because I was looking for some kind of... Uh, clues that there was more to um, the universe than just you know everyday life basically it's amazing you were really searching for that like you were trying to reach out for that sense of meaning um i think my kids i i I think my kids are starting to do that now so maybe that's just a natural pattern of of life but it's, it's weird for me because i feel like i've had all this meaning growing up um like, like, like when I was 12 and I shared my story and how my family came to, to meet Christ. And, and then I went to this period where I kind of lost it. And, and I definitely was impacted by this scientific sort of age of enlightenment sort of worldview. Um, and I think when Nietzsche talked about God is dead, he was, he was specifically talking about the Christian God. So like we're talking about the, he was, he was talking about the West so I don't know what, what it's like, you know, in the rest of the world. Sure. Uh, but in particular, he was talking about the Christian God and the, and the values of the Western world and that simply people stopped believing. And there's been a time where we've been living in the shadow of it, pretending like, he, like God's still there. But science and reason has un- undercut metaphysical claims, right? And um, I, 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 I can relate to that. Like I think for many times I, I, I've sort of said even in our Soma group, I, I don't know if I have any beliefs anymore. I, I've, I've really struggled with metaphysical claims or anything that would be supernatural or outside of the material world. And I guess I have been impacted by this very thing Nietzsche talked about where the scientific worldview and the, and the rational sort of way of seeing the world has squeezed out my belief in anything outside of the, the natural world. I think one of the reasons that happens, though, is because we've had too much of a vertical view of how the whole God thing functions. So if you're, you know, if, if your belief is um, that most of what's important happens after you die, you know, you're believing these impossible things so that when you die, you get to go to heaven. Yeah. That's a very vertical view, mm-hmm. as opposed to a horizontal view, which we've talked about is, is really Jesus is telling you how many things function in our world. He's just doing it in a language that is not common to us today, and you need to understand them and, and apply them, and it'll make a lot more sense. Um, not everything, but um, they also, much of the Bible is written with what's called, I think it's called a tripart view of mm-hmm. reality. So you've got hell below, the earth in the middle, and mm-hmm. heaven above, right? They believe, you know, 
their assumption about reality was that Earth was in the middle between heaven and hell. One of the things that shifted is through um, through physics and so forth is we we know that that's not rea- the way reality really functions. Right. So um, we have a much more people starting to believe in things like multiple universes and multiple worlds and multiple levels to reality, right? Mm. So it's 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 a different picture of reality. People who are purely mechanical in their view of uh, everything, just atoms banging together, um, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to it. So there's right. no place even on other levels for God to exist. We're coming around actually to a, a kind of a view of the universe that that people are starting to question and, and ask bigger questions about what is the mind, you know, where yeah. is God? There is there is a lot of open-ended questions there. It's not the same worldview that the Bible was written with, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of translation that has to happen, I think. I, I So I did some Googling on on uh, Nietzsche t- this week. Uh, just, you know, wic- I'm a Wikipedia armchair um, philosopher here, uh, but... He uh, he talked about something called the Ubermensch, and actually, it reminded me of your Overman, yeah, yeah, the Overman. It reminded me of your um, horizontal sort of revelation because um, what what Nietzsche warned was that we would our culture would go towards a uh, nihilism, right? Mm-hmm. And this meaning crisis you're talking about, and um, that my kids are experiencing, that I've experienced, and he said that that he. Pre- one of the most powerful things that he talked about is he predicted that there would be a war to determine the future of mankind, right? And that all these isms, these competing isms would have like ideological battles. Cause if there is no God, right. And, um, and, uh, and our place in, in the universe is no longer the center, then where does that leave us? Like there's now this gap or there's this vacuum right. in society. If we don't get our core identity from God, then we're going to end up getting it from culture or whoever is the most powerful in culture. And yeah. that's the battle that... That's the battle. That's the progressive battle, I think, that yeah. is happening right now in our culture. Everybody is defining their identity for themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, in Psalms it says, the fool says in his heart there is no God. Mm. So um, why is it foolish to say there is no God? Yeah. Because you're essentially throwing away your identity. You know, if, if we get our identity from God and... and we're created in the image of God. When we are no longer aware or able to connect with God, we're dimin- instantly diminishing ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then we're in a battle to whoever is the most powerful and can rule over us, essentially. Um, that's the, I think that's the warning. When we uh, lose connection with God, we're really losing connection with what makes us human. Wow. So that's exactly what's happening. And there's this emptiness. There's this gap. Um, it's like, does someone want to reapply to... Uh, to establishing our identity as a culture, because there's this huge gap if we say there is no God. And I can see why the Bible would say a fool and says in his heart there is no God, because it leads to this real, this really cri- real crisis of meaning that you're talking about. But Nietzsche said that, so what he proposed in one of his writings called Thus Spoke Zarathustra, um, the, Zarathustra is this protagonist in the story, and he comes down from the mountain and he goes into this town square and he starts to talk about the Ubermensch which means like beyond man or like a superman or a superior human. And um, Google man. <laughs> Google man? The Google man is coming. The Google man, yeah. And the thing is when he describes this, this man or the superior man, I guess what Nietzsche is saying is we're going to need some kind of vision for humanity is what he's saying. Right. And, um, and he, he says that this, this Uber man, uh, Google man, is, um, 
he, it's, he, you can tell Nietzsche's reacting to the Christian worldview. And this is what I get, what I'm getting to when you talk about horizontal, because he says this one, this, this Superman will give meaning to life on earth. No, it's not, it's like he, he kind of criticized this escape mentality that he saw in Christianity, that it was always sort of, I mean, I can understand why we would want to uh, escape from this place. This is, can be a very painful, difficult place. But what he was seeing was that we needed a vision for humanity that was horizontal, that it wasn't, wasn't so vertical, that he wanted to bring meaning back to life here on earth. Like, what, is it, what does it mean to be here and to bring value to our lives, to bring value to the material world? And so he thought the ubermensch or the super, super, superhuman would be that vision of, of humanity for the future, but it would be more horizontal. That, that's my word I'm using from you, but I right, think that's right. what he was describing. Yeah, it's really interesting. Well, I think human beings are wired up to look for identity from others. And, and you know, I see it, again, I see it all the time in students. You know, why do they idolize celebrities? Why do they idolize their favorite sports stars or whatever it is? Yeah. Um, you know, it's because we're like identity sponges and we're looking for a way to uh, find out who we are, to build ourselves up, uh, to use a kind of a biblical term. Like when we build ourselves up, what we're really saying is to become who we want to be or who we're meant to be. Yeah. And um, so I see it all the time in the classroom, like the idolizing of, of, you know, different kinds of celebrities and sports stars because individuals, adolescent individuals, are looking for um, identity. They're looking for a way to transform themselves and become adults. And, and I think we're all still, even at, even myself, you know, mm -hmm. I, uh, there's individuals I look up to. There's individuals I think are have something to say to me. And it's, mm -hmm. it's that desire for, um, for meaning, connection, identity. And, and I think we're also susceptible, you know, to individuals that are more powerful than us abusing that at times because mm -hmm. they, they could, um, you know, control individuals by offering something that they really don't have the ability to give. Connecting with God uh, helps short circuit that, you know, that there's something about um, faith in God and, and a picture of Christ mm -hmm. that he is the image of the invisible God. In other mm -hmm. words, he gives us a clearer picture than I'm going to get in your life. You, you know, I, I know you, I know how you live your life and so forth, but Jesus is giving me a, a clearer picture of God than, than you're able to give me. And, and, and so when we tune into God, we essentially start to liberate ourselves from other identities and other ways of, um, you know, drawing and, and imposing their picture, their godlike mm -hmm. plan for my life, you know. Mm -hmm. The Ubermen are everywhere in our culture. I think I'd like to unpack that, what, what you're talking about, Mark, uh, in terms of, like, Christ, because this is coming full circle to the, the question we got from our listener from in the beginning, and, and, and what I wanted to talk about was... In the, in the context of this post-Christian culture, you know, the sense that God is dead and we have killed him, and now there's this nihilism and this meaninglessness, and some people are feeling that through, you know, um, a romanticized ver vision, you know, that's not really rooted in anything. Others are just saying it's all absurd, and that's how they're dealing with it. Uh, I found myself going to those dark places, too. I've seen my oldest children going to those dark places, too, and it made me feel like, like, like Nietzsche says, you know, uh, be careful lest you you look into the abyss and the abyss looks back at you. And right. I, I felt like that's what was sort of happening, this sort of emptiness and despair. And um, and I, I guess what I'm saying is I kind of agree that we do need a new vision of humanity like that Uber meant. 
But I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, I think I'd like to see a Christian manifestation of that. Like I'm, I'm hoping to revive my Christian faith. Um, and if, if that Christian faith is more horizontal, if that Christian faith is more like, like body and material and brings value to life, that's what I, that's what I'm hoping to resurrect or revive. And I think you're right. Like, I think if, if Christ provides an identity that we could like follow and emulate, then that, that does provide an answer to this meaning crisis. And I, I would say, I think uh, I would need to place more emphasis on actual practices because identity is always in process. I think Uh, as adults, we grow, like I, I get to be uniquely me. I'm not becoming literally Christ, but through my connection with God and through my understanding of Christ, I believe God is, um, guiding me to who, who the best version of me, but I've still got to be me. I, the interests mm-hmm. I have, the abilities I have, mm-hmm. uh, the location, the Bible says that God has chosen where people live and are born. Like the, I think God has given people unique identities, unique abilities. Mm-hmm. And he's not, you know, it's not like he's rubber stamping himself over the top of that. I think he is, he wants people to be uniquely created uniquely uh you know to use a twitter verified he's given (laughs) them an identity that's really inherently meaningful and Mm -hmm. valuable Mm -hmm. and he's given you certain gifts he's given me certain gifts they're not the same right so i think a lot of time people hear you know i'm become a christian means my actual identity has been wiped out and and some kind of generic republican version of reality has been rubber stamped over my brain you know yeah and i think that's completely false that I'm learning to be me. I'm learning to be more me and less what the advertisers mm-hmm. want, less what my parents maybe wanted. Or, you know, I'm, I'm becoming more free to wow. be what God has imprint, imprinted in me. It's very different than what you have, and that's clear from just the way we talk, the way we dress, you know, <laughs> many reasons, right? Yeah. And that's good. That's, I think that is a part of what's good. If, if we say God is dead or we, we throw God out, what we're doing is throwing the baby out with the bathwater and we're going to lose that essential identity that God has given us. I think there's an element of Christianity that, that I haven't tried, actually, Mark, like that's untried for me. And maybe it's for a lot of people and maybe it's for some of the listeners that are asking these questions. I focus so much on the vertical and like, on, on the metaphysical and, and the beliefs that are beyond this world that I, I didn't know how to live here in this world. And I, I think there's a part of Christianity that maybe is really the point. Like when you think of what Jesus taught and what the apostles taught in the New Testament, it was a very horizontal expression. Like I, it, there's so much focus on practical things like real, right. real practices and real, um, real like flesh and blood type stuff. Not, not just what you believe. Well, Jesus is the truth, the way, and the life. Yeah, which implies a practice, not just a set of cognitive beliefs. And yeah. Like so if the, you're not practicing in daily life and learning to trust and act on your understanding of God, you're you're really not doing it for the most part. Yeah, they, they were called followers of the way that the early church in the first century, followers of the way. Like, that's really interesting. That's not just about beliefs or a religion. It was, there was a way of life that they followed. And they it says that they were, in, in the book of Acts, it says they were first called Christians in Antioch, which was only a, a few years after uh, Christ had, had, had left. 
And uh, the word Christian means like a little Christ, like a little manifestation of Christ. So like whatever they were doing, however they were acting, however they were living, it reminded people of Jesus. So there was an expression that was physical. It was real, right? And, and I think that's a part of the gospel that we've, I know I've never really focused on too much, like the incarnation, right? That that was this idea that the logos or the, or the word or the eternal logic of the universe became flesh and dwelt among us. Like John talked about how we heard and we saw and we handled, like, like God took a body. He was seen. He was, you could hug Jesus. You could, you could eat with Jesus. And that somatic kind of faith, like that, that body kind of faith that right. it's horizontal horizontal. It's the Ubermensch that he was talking about. That is an untried thing for me. And I think that's why I'm giving Christianity another shot is because I, I want a faith that's real and it's in its material and it's body and it's sweaty and it's, and it's real. And I think that's a, there is a, there is that element in new Testament and in Christianity that I haven't really given a fair chance. Uh, and I would say um, one thing I would say to the uh, listeners is, or the person who wrote the email is, um, whatever your current awareness or belief in the Bible or God or whatever, there is no um, limitation on prayer. And I think you need to have a spiritual practice because we are constantly bombarded with other people's voices and opinions of what our identity is and who we are. And so for me, I, I have a daily prayer practice almost every day, mm. you know, sometimes twice a day. Um, it's short, but I, I, it's indispensable. And I, one thing that I have learned is, is to pray and ask God to intervene in my life. And, um, and I try to draw strength from, from Christ and from God on a daily basis um, because I've needed it, and it's gotten me through a lot of different things. And mm-hmm. and I've, there's been times when I haven't opened the Bible for a long period, but I still kept up with the prayer and, and the silence and just being away by myself for a while so I could try to connect mm-hmm. because that somehow has gotten me through. Adding, I think adding Scripture in and trying to take in un, un, more understanding is even more beneficial but I would say if all you have is just a willingness to ask God a question and a willingness to pray, I would start there. The other thing I, I thought about, too, when I read the our listener's question um, was it sounds like she's transcending Christianity, right? Um, she's saying she's saying there's a bigger picture of God and it can't and he can't the, God can't be contained with these words and these stories and and. It reminded me of a phrase that I've heard from uh, Richard Rohr, who's a, I guess he's a Catholic. Um, yeah, he's a popular speaker. Yeah. And he runs a center in New Mexico, and he's um, written, I don't know, Number hundreds of books. Of books. I've, re- I've read a couple of his books, um, one of which really helped me in, in, in this process we're talking about. Yeah. Um, I think it's called Failing Forward. Okay. And essentially, the premise of the book is that in midlife, it's very common to have a crisis. Marriage breaks apart, finances, health, whatever it is. Yeah. And that that crisis, uh, f- the failure that comes from it is actually sort of the normal spiritual pathway. It's it's almost like it, it, it allows you to, um, or it calls you to something deeper. You, you're going to need to pray. You're going to need to dig deeper. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if God makes those things happen or they just are kind of how life goes. Yeah, just life. But 
they happen to all of us in varying degrees. Um, yeah. I had a friend one time who said everybody gets an assignment, you know. <laughs> Um, he, the person who said that his his wife was struggling with cancer, and he always used to say to me, "Everyone gets an assignment," and I, mm. I think he's exactly right. Mm. Um, it's different for everybody, different levels of struggle, but those uh, assignments invite us to uh, into the spiritual journey. They they're unavoidable for all of us. And uh, Richard Rohr, I think you really emphasized that in that yeah. book. It was very wow. meaningful. It's, it's deep stuff. He taught well. He talks about transcending and including. That's the phrase that I thought of when our listener wrote to us, transcend and include. And he, he, he referenced it more in a, in a deconstruction context that you transcend the things that, that, um, you know, maybe from your youth that were really legalistic and, but, but there's, but you need to look at what maybe you want to include moving forward. You know, we have the f- classic phrase of not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And, and, and I was, as I was thinking about this, um, I think there's a case for holding on to Christian faith in a post-Christian culture. I think uh, we can transcend a lot of the abuses and maybe a lot of the restrictions and the things we just know aren't true. But I, I don't think we should necessarily throw it all out. I, I think it might be a mistake. And I, I see the same pattern with the New Testament and the Old Testament, right? Like when the early when Jesus came and the early writers of the New Testament came along, they didn't throw out Judaism, right? They they looked back at Judaism and they transcended it for sure, but then they went back to the old stories and the scriptures and they they kind of reinterpreted it, reimagined it, but they included it into their new phase of their journey, right? So Christianity is rooted in Judaism and it doesn't divorce itself from Judaism. But they did have to look back into the scriptures and see it differently. Like one of the things they do is like they read Jesus back into everything, right? Like the sacrificial right. system, all the animal sacrifices was actually pointing to the crucifixion of Christ. Right. So that well, that's the underlying meaning system itself. But I think you can't do that without experience. Um, there needs to be experience of God too. Otherwise, you're, you're just going to be rearranging the symbols. And, yeah. And I. You know, and the danger That's of that, the danger of that is, um, you know, you get this sort of kind of, I think, an ethical religion, yeah. which we compel people to believe or do different things, right? And I, I see that in a lot of progressivism now. There's a very underlying religious undertones to much of it. There's, there's a, there's definitely a vision of what a human being should be, or there's yeah. or competing visions, and, yes. And there is uh, an ethical case being made constantly for every behavior, where you shop, what you eat, how you dress, who you know. Those are all ethically competing visions for what a human being should be. Mm-hmm. Um, I often don't sense much grace or much transcendence in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think without the experience of God, we will be bound to somebody else's vision of what the Uberman should look like. The beauty of Christ, I think, is that you know, uh, he wants to uh, liberate people to be who he's created them to be. Yeah. Um, and, the, you know, the, tr- the simple truth shall set you free. It comes at a cost, though, and the cost is, is seeking God. It's not, there's no formula that can tell you this is the correct formula to believing and the Bible proves this, this, and this. That's not how we're talking about the Bible. I see it as more... Um, the Bible gives you a series of keys or ways to connect with God in reality and being able to seek and understand what God has for each individual. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, and you know, the Bible says, seek and you shall find, as the most 
basic promise in the New Testament, seek and you shall find. And I, I think it absolutely works. If you start seeking God, you will find something that will help you in that process. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the experience of, of Christ, right, is what caused them to go back to Judaism and look at it again and, and see what, was, what, what, what could they transcend, but what would, what would they hold on to? Um, if I if I could sort of maybe summarize the main thrust of the New Testament, it was this is expanding to Gentiles, right? Like when you look at Jesus, um, he brings this message, he brings this lifestyle, but he starts to expand and embrace uh, people that were outside of of what the, of what t- traditional Judaism of his time would have have accepted. Yeah, I mean that's the book of Acts right there right yeah. at the beginning. He's like yeah. even the Gentiles are included. How do we know because God gives them the Holy Spirit. Right. So there's an experience that they see and it's then they an have experience. to kind of rewrite things or l- reinterpret things or go back and say wait a minute, maybe we maybe we understood this differently and, and so you have things like um, Paul writing about, you know, the Abrahamic covenant where um, it was supposed to be the the descendants of Abraham, where the the sons of Abraham were the physical descendants, and that they're the ones that would carry the promise. But then Paul talks about no, actually, if you just have faith, you are a son of Abraham or a daughter of Abraham. He he kind of expanded or transcended that idea, but still included the idea of of the Abrahamic promise. But he expanded it to be not just the physical descendants, but all right. All faith people. faith is. Um a Jew is not a Jew just because of circumcision. It's a circumcision of the heart. So in other words, having faith is what connects you and gives you belonging in that family. And I, and I think that God honors faith at whatever level you have. You know, And knowledge, I think, is important, but faith is, is what gives you an entrance because it's, it's what begins to liberate you from um, you know, your, just solely your own ex- circumstances and identity. You know, if you anyone's ever been through the 12-step program, you know, belief in a higher power is one of the basic building blocks that people say it works. And I, I think it does, whether you're in 12-step or not, mm. is if you're willing to take that small step of uh, putting your trust and faith in God as, as you currently understand, right, I think that, that God will answer that and will, will work with you and will, will call you to a bigger picture of God. Um, it's because faith takes us outside of ourselves. And, you know, it's like um, when I was often depressed, I would go to a movie and I watched the movie and I would come out feeling less depressed. Well, why is that? Because the movie takes my mind off of myself. Right. And I think faith functions the same way. Whatever problem you have, whatever circumstance you have, if you can connect with God, it takes you off of your own resources and ability, and it connects you to a different source. Wow. And I think that is the key to, um, to moving forward. So if I can make kind of connect the dots here with, so the New Testament comes along, which is Jesus' teachings and then how the apostles sort of take that on in the first century. And they transcend Judaism but they hold on to a lot of it. Like you even said, circumcision of the heart. Like they took something that belonged to Judaism and they re-sort of imagined it to be something about faith. But it, was, it wasn't just like they were making this stuff up. They had experiences that they had to then go back and sort of reinterpret. And so we have these great, crazy, powerful, like step forwards in understanding in the New Testament, like, like the idea of faith or the right. idea of like it's, going, it's expanding beyond the Jews 
Um, so I guess my question is like, is that, can that, is that happening again or, or does it kind of happen again? I don't know if it's generation, every generation experiences this or, I mean, in our culture in the West where we have a culture that doesn't believe, doesn't see the value of Christianity, we have listeners sending us messages about this. And here we are saying, we're trying to hold on to Christian faith in this post-Christian culture. Is there a way we, is this what we're going through, Mark? Like, are we trying to experience something new that we then have to go back to Christianity and Judaism, the Judeo-Christian sort of root, and say, look, we're not going to deny it. We're not going to get rid of it. We, we want to include it, but, we, but in some ways we're transcending it as well. Well, I think what a lot of people reject is not uh, the meaning or the stories of Jesus or any of that. What they reject is feeling ostracized. I, I think, I don't know this for sure, but I, I would guess that there's probably was some experiences that happened, some rejections, some um, difficulties that, that created an emotional disconnection. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that, you know, I used to, when I was doing the red herring, we would have uh, people come in, street kids and different individuals come in. I had literally hundreds of conversations with people about Christ. And, and it always came down to... Um, you know, them feeling that they went to church, but they felt rejected. They went to church, but it made no sense to them. They went to church and somebody was, you know, said something to them that offended them. Um, and often multiple times. I, I don't want to um, diminish that because that, that, you know, but but that's what often what it came down to. Mm-hmm. Um, it, or that, that they had a step farther and a step farther abused them or said they were a Christian, but were just a terrible person. So, you know, it's, it's often the real question is often not the stated question. It's the underlying emotional question that that you're, you're guessing at a lot of time. Real real pain, suffering, rejection, Mm -hmm. uh, emotional pain, feelings of loss. And, and I think those are actually, um, the real underlying things that have to be dealt with so often, right? It's not a cognitive issue. I can't believe this because yada, yada, yada. It's more often I felt rejected. So if I were rejected by someone in church, a family member, whatever, um, I don't want to be rejected by God, you know? And so, but I, but in my experience, um, the pain is actually a way that God can also, where God, he, wants to work most often is in the pain and in the grief and in the sense of rejection. And I would invite God into that and be honest about that mm-hmm. rather than have a theoretical conversation about what is the meaning of, you know, whatever. Like, yeah. That's important. And, and you know, when I first started in my Christian journey, I read Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. <laughs> I yeah. recently bought it from my son. I said, hey, he's a smart guy. I said, hey, read this book. Tell me what you think. I read that thing back to cover. It's, you know, all about the manuscripts and prophecies and yeah. you know, validation for the Bible. It, it can be helpful for some people. Right. But that's very rarely is the question that anyone's asking. It's, it's more a question of, you know, is my life valuable? Is my identity going to be uh, validated? Mm-hmm. You know, is the suffering that I've experienced um, purposeful? Can God heal that? Can God forgive me? Mm-hmm. Those are the real questions I find. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm at this point where I'm willing to tr- 
sorry, I'm, I'm at this point where I'm willing to sort of try this untried truth in my life that I think Christianity is, deserves another shot at, at the Uberman. What is it you think you should try, I guess, is the question. Are you trying on new ideas or are you try, what are you trying? Um, I think what I'm trying to, to do is to step away from it being about what I believe metaphysically because I can't buy into that anymore. Uh, I had a, um, a friend of mine text me after our podcast came out. Oh, okay. And he doesn't have any church background. But he just said to me, hey, good, good on you. You know, it's good to try something new. And he said, you know, I'm a, disp- I'm a non-believer. He's like, I, uh, I can't. He said, I actually envy people like you, people who believe. I just can't. I'm just too cynical. And I can tell, he, you know, he's obviously being impacted by the, the whole death, death of God culture we live in. Right. And, uh, but he, he, he said, I wish I could believe. And uh, I've had other friends tell me that too, that they wish they could, but they just can't. They're too Yeah, I've, I've heard lots of people say that, yeah. Yeah, and I guess I'm, I'm kind of similar where, where I don't know if I can just, if Christianity is just about believe all these incredibly impossible things, then I can't do it anymore. So when you say, what do I want to try? I guess I want to try the horizontal aspect that, that you know, just, just l- trying to live the teachings of Christ, for example, or trying to, to just be the, the kind of person that the New Testament says we can be and to take on that identity. I see a language like that often in the New, in the New Testament. Like they say stuff like, like even the Apostle Paul wrote stuff like, you know, until Christ is formed in you. Or when, the, when God's people reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and they talk about being transformed into the image or conformed right. to the image of his son. I want a real Christianity that actually changes my life, that makes me a better person, that makes me more patient, that makes me more loving, that, get, that makes me actually look more and more like this Uberman, this Christ identity that the, the, the New Testament presents. So when I say there's something I haven't tried, I don't even know what to do. And maybe it's what you're saying. Maybe it's just a bit of praying. It's a bit of, it's being reflective. It's being contemplative, but I, I'm not so interested in like having the right beliefs about like metaphysical ideas. I want to live out the things that this faith is supposed to live out. And I would say probably you're doing it more than you realize. Uh, Cause I actually think that God is working in everybody at some level and inviting everybody into some kind of uh, relationship but we can we can resist that and we can ignore that. But if you're asking the question, I think you're probably further along than than you realize, right? Mm-hmm. But I I do think that um, there's a maturity part of this as well, and that um, that God uh, wants to reveal Himself more. It's not just about information or mm-hmm. the number of Bible verses. You it, it's 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 understanding and learning to relate to God. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had, I'll share two quick experiences. Probably it was several years ago when I was really, really um, at that point where I was considering could I give up on my uh, faith. I'd seen other people do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized I couldn't stop believing in God, but I, I wasn't sure if God was good. And I read a scripture in Jeremiah. It said, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, 
and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so it's kind of an ancient picture. We don't use those kind of words anymore. But basically saying people are trying to have a source of, of life that doesn't come from me, right? He's using the picture of the water in the ground. Mm. And I felt like that's one of the things I, I had done and still at times do. And so I prayed and asked God and I said, if this is what is wrong in my life, just break up those empty cisterns. Do what's necessary to dismantle mm. my drawing on other sources. And, and, and that's when my life actually got more difficult and I felt more depression and more, more heaviness because that had to be dismantled. But I, I was giving God permission to do that. And then I, I kind of heard him say, or I felt I heard God say to me that um, the more you come to me, the more I'll heal you. Mm. And, then, and then God pr- pretty much went silent for, for a long time. And, uh, and it was about three years ago, I was in England with my wife on, on vacation, and I was, I'd was i been sort of retracing some of my footsteps that, as a kid in some of the places my family went to. And I was standing in a town, in uh, a train station in England, in Chester, which is a place that is important to my family and uh, important memories there. And I was standing there, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, I felt God speak to me. And he, it was just, it was like almost instantaneous, you know, and that probably sounds crazy if you've never, you don't know what that's like, but I just had a sense that God was speaking to me and he said, I led you into the wilderness so that you would live. And just the, it's obviously from the Old Testament and, but at the same time, the phrase, I, I just felt like a layers of meaning kind of came to me that, that God was saying your struggle and your, the, the process you've been through is a meaningful process that I'm taking you through. Wow. And I, I, I feel that God can do that in anyone's life. If you, It's not about correct beliefs or number of Bible verses you know or whether you go to church. Mm-hmm. I think that God desires to have a relationship, and that's, that's always going to be a two-way street. There's one last thing that Nietzsche talks about in his, um, in his story about Zarathustra, and Zarathustra comes down to the town town um, hall or town square again, and he 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 tries to tell them that you know they don't believe in they don't believe in God and all these things are going on and the people wouldn't hear it, and so he 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 tells them about something he called the last man, and he thought it would it would trigger like um, uh, it, it would make them think oh my God we don't want to be like that it would wake them up but instead it's they celebrated it they wanted the last man, <laughs> and. The last man. The last Google man. <laughs> the last Google man. No, this is the this is the opposite of the Uber man. Uh, he, this this person doesn't want to think. They fear progress. They desire comfort, um, status quo. They want everything to stay the same. Put yeah. me back in the matrix. Yeah, take the blue pill. I want I want to go back in the matrix. And um, when I did some research on um, post Christian culture, I did come across a couple of videos of like Christians and church people who were talking about the post Christian culture. But they were talking about, like, we have to resist even more than ever. We have to double down on our conservative values, and we have to double, and they saw it as a fight. Um, and uh, and I, 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 the phrase came to me, like, if Christianity keeps fighting this, will we come to a point where we have the last Christian, you know, the last man? Or is, I mean, is are Darwinian pressures involved here? Like, we either evolve or we go extinct. And I wonder if... You know my my desire to try to revive Christianity in this context is just me trying to say I don't want to go extinct. 
I, I don't know if we need one uh, giant Christianity revived everybody. I don't believe in being everyone being on the same page, actually. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, God is unique, has created a, a reality with so much diversity. Yeah. And I don't, I, I do believe Christ is the sustainer of everything, but I don't think he demands um, everyone to even have the same set of beliefs or, yeah. or, or exactly, you know, interpret it in the same way or, um, you know, live it out even in the same way. I think we're all, we're all imperfect and we're all, um, in, you know, living out our, our understanding of God in a particular time and place and way. And we'll miss things, we'll get things right, and that's okay. One time you asked me if I thought Christianity would be around in 100 years. Do you remember asking me that? Vaguely. Do you know why you asked me that or what you were thinking at the time? I don't, I'll be honest. <laughs> if by Christianity you mean like a certain brand, I would say, who knows? I, do I think the content of what Christ taught will be around in 100 years? Absolutely. All right. There you go. There you go, folks. <laughs> Hopefully we didn't make things worse for those that are listening. Um, tune in next time. Thank you. Thank you.